Welcome to episode 92 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy features conversations with Canadian theatre makers, from actor to director to playwright Tim Moore. If you're listening for the first time and you like what you hear, I would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast. You can find Stageworthy on Apple Podcasts and Google Music or wherever you get your podcasts. And whether you're a new listener or you've been listening for a while, please consider leaving a comment or rating. Your ratings and comments help new people find the show. And if you want to drop me a line, I would love to hear from you. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. My guest is Toronto designer Nina Auckland. Nina joined me to talk about the art of creating surtitles for theatre. I know it, there, it is that, you know, it helps people to uh, understand what's happening in operas. Yeah. That's how I understand certain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is, that, is that basically correct? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay. And it, it's not any different in theater except for maybe the pace is faster because mm-hmm. opera is stretched yes. out. Yeah. Whereas in theater, you've got, like, rapid fire uh-huh. So I think maybe in opera there's more latitude to be... Yeah. Do you want to say this for the podcast or are we No, we are. We are recording, so... In opera, because, you know, there's a lot of repetition, mm-hmm. I mean, not all of it is slow, but generally, you know, it's, it's the song lyrics, so you can do the translation in its entirety, but in theater, because of the speed, you often have to uh, edit. Okay. Oh, yeah. do you have to, like, not literally have the surtitle literal? Well, because the perp in theater... Mm-hmm. As I understand it, the people who come to see a show that in a language that they don't understand, right. play, still want to see the show, not crane their neck at a screen and read surtitles. No, no, that's that's very true. <laughs> so essentially, what you want to do is give them enough mm-hmm. that they understand, but then can cast their eye down and watch the action. Okay. Huh. Okay. Yes. So it's a it's, but at the same time you. As a translator, as a craftsperson, you, you an artist, you want to give them uh, the the most true translation mm-hmm. that you can, preserving uh, the nuances, the poetry of of what the playwright has given. Right. Because um, no two playwrights write the same. Of course. And, you know, sometimes there's rhymes and alliteration, and so you try to capture as much of that as you can. Uh, but there are, you know, a couple of rules like, uh, you know, uh, names like, uh, you know, Nina, or Rick. You wouldn't translate them. You would, you would leave them out altogether of the sentence as much okay. as possible. Like, so if the sentence was Rick, uh, come get dinner, mm-hmm. uh, you would just write come get dinner right, because right, right. people are still. It's, it's not like they're reading the translation and not hearing it. They're here. They hear the Rick. Right. You don't need to hear Rick in a different language. Right. Uh, so you just need to understand the rest. So there's things like that. Uh, uh, you know, you'll do all anything that you can. You can contract. Like so, if it's uh, uh, you have not done this, mm-hmm. have not becomes haven't. Right. Like all of those, even yeah. if they're not, you know, unless they're really uh, important okay. in the script, you you shorten all of that. So are you translating 
Sometimes. Okay. I mean, you know, uh, Moliere has already been translated. Yes. Into English, yeah, yeah, yeah. So often, and, and, and sometimes very badly and sometimes very well. Yes. So you take into account existing translations. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the play is being performed in uh, a modern setting, mm-hmm. sometimes you will tweak the language so that it's not so old-timey, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, sometimes it's a brand new play and no English translation exists, and mm. so you are essentially okay. the first one to do that. Um and it's, there's always like this desire, I think, in, in me anyways, to, to do the, the most beautiful literal translation as mm-hmm. possible. But when you're surtitling, you're going... Uh, so uh, the way we do it, and I'm sure there's many different ways to surtitle in different computer programs, we we, um, we annotate a text and then we create a PowerPoint presentation. Right. So each slide is a chunk of text. So uh, instead of uh, doing a translation and then working it into a PowerPoint, we do directly into a okay. PowerPoint. So we're... Um, uh, we're immediately kind of doing all the editing and the crunching. So our, a, sur- a surtitled um, script can't really be a full literal translation. So right. it's a different, yeah, because then, then you have to re-expand. It's like adding water to it to, a, <laughs> so to cook it. when you are, uh, you said we, and when you we. say we... Yes. You're, who is we? We, okay. So uh, I've only been surtitling two and a half or three years mm-hmm. now. Uh, and I learned from uh, Gunther Dreifeltz, who still surtitles for the opera and used to do all the surtitling for Théâtre Français de Toronto. And uh, she's slowly retiring. She's okay. just, she's has the luxury of, of, of wanting more time uh, to, to do other things. So when she knew she was going to be leaving Théâtre Français, she, uh, she knew that I was interested. And, and um, Melanie Hall, who has been stage managing for Théâtre Français, was also interested. And one of the actors at Théâtre Français, Christopher Webb, also has a, a background in translation, okay. or study translation. So the three of us kind of formed a team. Mm-hmm. And Gunther trained us. And then the following season, we each did two shows. Of the six show season, okay, and then we also kind of proofread each other's stuff. And we bounce ideas off of each other, and mm. and uh, because it's it's not only the the creation of the PowerPoint and the translation, but someone has to be there on the day of the performance operating the search. Oh, so you not only you not only like make the the slides, you you run it as well. Yeah, yeah. so you have to sit in on rehearsals, mm-hmm. make sure the timing, because that's the other half is the technical standpoint. One thing is coming up with the right. words, but you want to make sure that the uh, that you're not um, giving away any punchlines. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to kind of split something into two slides because it just timing doesn't work. And then you know the other half is like it's a duet with the with the performers uh, of of you know pressing go at the right time so that the right slide shows up. And then right. you know what if they reverse a couple of lines or right, forget right, right. some text. Mm. So you have to kind of be ready to improvise or kind of scoot forward or just kind of hold and. So to see where they land. What do you do if they skip a line? Are you able to skip ahead, or do yeah, you? Yeah, you generally just skip ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the the irony is that the people who are watching the show who don't speak French they won't know. They won't know. No, of course, yeah. Um, obviously, they'll know if you all of a sudden are like zipping through some lines before <laughs> they can read it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, and sometimes they like skip full scenes ahead. Like it's you know it can't. Right. It's never happened to me. And and. Um, 
Melanie Hall has been operating most of the Sir titling because uh, of just the schedule and uh, she's more at ease in the booth doing mm-hmm. that stuff. Uh, my background's in design, so usually by opening night, <laughs> right, right, of course. Away. So I'm still always a little bit kind of uh, on edge. It's, it's it's actually a lot of fun um, once you get past the nerves of it. I, I imagine it's much <laughs> like performing. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, the kind of like okay. Oh, he's gonna pause. Like I'm gonna, just, you know, you because you you kind of want to release the slide on the second syllable mm-hmm. or like the second word of the sentence. Right. It's just like it's it's just a feel that you need to have. So anyway, so there's there's three. There was three. Now there are two. Christopher has been very busy with his acting career, mm-hmm. and so he's he's out of the game. So now it leaves Melanie and myself. Um, and uh, and then I picked up contracts with Théâtre Nouvelle Ontario, which is the, the French theater company in Sudbury. Right. Yeah, so I do their entire season. Huh. Yeah. You mentioned that, that you come from a, a design background, mm-hmm. um, and that's mostly costume? Yeah, costume design, yeah. yeah. So what is it that drew you to design? Because so, you, you have two things that are basically design-based. You have yeah. costume design, you have uh, surtitle design. Exactly, so yeah. So how, how did you come to theater? Uh, to theater? Uh I, you know, I saw Les Mis when I was 13 and was like, that's what I'm doing with my life. Uh, but how I got into surtitling is, I mean, I had the benefit of growing up trilingual. Mm-hmm. So I've always kind of been translating or okay. or or witnessing translations. Because I don't think I generally, I have tra- had to translate anything, but, uh, you know, I think it's, it's ironic because English is actually my third language, but it's the language I'm most comfortable in. And so when I often read something in French, my brain is then transposing it into English or how I would say that in English or same with German. So I've always, you know, I I love finding bad translations. (laughs) I I used to work for a toy company and um, we made radio controlled, we, they made radio controlled airplanes and helicopters. And one of them uh, was our basic model and it was easy to fly. Right. And then in French, underneath it said facile à voler, which, you know, they, they failed to take into account that voler can also mean steal in French. And the way they had worded it was that this plane was easy to steal. <laughs> so, you know, I've always loved how, you know, there's just these little intricacies to it. So I've always watched Gunther's work, uh, you know, whenever I was in the audience watching my, you know, tired of watching my design on stage, mm-hmm. I would glance up and watch Gunta's design on the screen, and and uh, uh, was always like, oh, I, could, I could do that, and I was kind of thrilled to kind of find um, something that I could help or tweak or nuance, mm-hmm. which is kind of a bratty thing to do, because it wasn't my job, but, uh, and she's a she's seasoned professional, she's probably the person in Canada who's done the most search titles, but... Um, <clears throat> Uh, with the French language, it's just, it's just nuances. So, um, I, I so when the opportunity came up, I was like, "Yeah, I absolutely want to do that." And in many ways, uh, I, you know, I've been designing costumes for twenty years, and I still do it. But there's the designing surtitles or translating is as exciting to me, or maybe more. It's it's like what designing. Designing is still very interesting to me, mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. there's uh, like an excitement to coming home being like, I'm going to do five pages, I'm going to translate five okay. pages tonight, and then, you know, 15 pages later, I'm like, I'm just going to do two more, this is too much fun. So uh, it, it's like the great big puzzle of finding the right word, 
spacing, you know, and then being like, oh, that word has too many syllables. I can't fit it all on one slide. I need to find something that's shorter but still has the same impact. Mm. And, you know, and then, and then, you know, figuring out how to pace it and running it is just, it's really exciting to me. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of nuance to it, it sounds like. There is a lot of nuance to it because sometimes the best word isn't the best uh, spatially on the slide. Mm. Um, sometimes you have to choose between, you know, sometimes there's like three adjectives to describe something. And you know that the playwright has like chosen those three words with care, but mm. your slide can only hold two words. <laughs> and then you have to be like, which one of these has to go? And which one's the most important? What would the playwright think? And, mm. you know, and sometimes the playwright's alive and you can actually ask them, which is great. Uh, and sometimes the playwright is, you know, not you know, alive, like Molly Hare. So uh, you kind of just have to give it your best and hope for the best. When you're asking a playwright, yeah. uh, if you can, you know, if there's three words I need, I can only fit two, um, which words would you choose? Do they ever get like, we, you can't cut a third word from my subtitles? Do they ever get a little, uh, no? No. No, I have, well, I mean, I guess I haven't asked that many playwrights, but, uh, <laughs> but I've never, it's always been very collaborative. Mm -hmm. And, you know, more often than not, it's like, um, I get a script and then sometimes if it's a, it's a show that's already, um, been produced and it's being brought to Tampa or TNO, uh, I get a, an archival video and right. I'll read the script and then I'll watch the video and then I'll read the script of the video and realize that there's some large discrepancies. Oh, and then, and then oh. I'm like, okay, well, you know, sometimes that happens. Shows do yep, evolve yep. and that's just part of it. And they're like, oh, yeah, we kind of improvise that scene every night. But, you know, <laughs> what's in the script is the gist of it. So just leave it as is. Um, I don't think there's... Um, I think the surtitling of... Well, the surtitling of opera has been mm. around for a very long time. Yeah. The surtitling of theater is a relatively new and emerging art form and just like they're you know we don't operate with any kind of software uh that's specific to it and everything is kind of like handwritten in the script and then scanned and then um and we use powerpoint uh it's you know maybe it's just like you know how projection art was considered 10 years ago yeah. as this like new and emerging thing um well, it's interesting because, you know, when I think about surtitling, I don't think of it uh, in theater. I think of it in, in opera. Right. And, of course, it makes sense for theater. It makes mm -hmm. sense for um, theater that is not in English, but people who maybe don't speak mm -hmm. the language might come. Um, and I guess it just never occurred to me that it was something that was, that was being done. Because, uh, you know, when I see a show that's, you know, at the French theater, mm -hmm. I think, oh, I don't speak French, so I, there's nothing, there's no way that I could go to that. Right. And I think a lot of people don't know exactly. that there's surtitling involved. Uh, yeah, well, it certainly was the case when we started. Mm. Uh, and I think we've been surtitling maybe seven, eight, maybe even ten years now at TFT. Mm. And we would do maybe three performances out of 20 okay. with surtitles. Okay. Uh, usually like a preview and uh, pay what you can, uh, or maybe both pay what you can, and they would always sell out. Hmm. And so we keep adding more and more and more of them. And uh, it, yeah, it's it's uh, it's really interesting because um, 
it, you know, in opera, the surtitles are always like, you know, above the stage or on either side of the stage. Right. Uh, and, and the battle is always, how do you make sure that the English surtitles don't disturb the people who don't need them? Right, right, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I've heard that there's this new technology where you, you know, audience members can get eyeglasses where the, like the surtitles are then projected on the lens. I think it's similar to, uh, like if you go to, uh, movies, they have this Close that technology action. for the deaf, so exactly, it's like it's yeah. called rear window projection. Right, yeah. very cool. Mm-hmm. A little out of our budget yes. right now. Chat Plasset, yeah. PowerPoint projector is you know right in our budget level, but you know it's very interesting. Um, I did a, actually I did a show. I designed costumes for a show last year uh, for Cahoots Theater um, uh, Company uh, called Ultrasound, which was written by a uh, deaf playwright mm-hmm. and performed by uh, two deaf actors. Right, and it had surtitling. Mm-hmm. Uh, because one of the actors only signed. Right, right, right. So, uh, and then the other actress uh, spoke with a deaf accent and also signed at some point. Mm. So we had interpreters on stage, but we also had uh, Trevor Schwalness was the set and surtitle designer, which was great. So the entire set uh, was built so that it could take projections and the surtitles would be projected wherever the actor was in the room. Oh, that's brilliant. And not only that, but one of my favorite things about it, and I, it, it, I think it's just so brilliant, is like at one point the couple is having an argument and as the argument becomes more heated, the surtitles started to um, rise above each other Oh, oh. To kind of denote that it was escalating, oh. so it would like move up the set, and I like it's just like that's so genius yeah. to me, and it made me think like how what you know are there other ways uh, that that we can integrate uh, in, instead of like trying to separate the surtitles, you know, are there are there shows that we can create mm. that that can integrate them right into it so that it's the, the point of, of, of the show is to like make it as uh, kind of multilingual and, and accessible as possible. Because there's something beautiful about integrating the uh, the surtitling into the set itself. Yeah. Where it's not, it's just part of the show rather than a projection. Exactly. It's not separate. It's like, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, obviously you have to take into account, you know, who your audience is and what they need and, and why is it important? Why would it be important for a French, uh, native speaker to see the English words? Like mm-hmm. Why, why do they need to see it? I mean, the, one of the other shows that I didn't sort of only did last year had, um, uh, was, was partly in French, partly in English and partly in Cree. Mm-hmm. And then the year before that, we did a show that had, um, French and Haitian in it, hmm. uh, Haitian Creole, and so like, how did you nuance like all these different languages into like, yeah, it was uh, yeah. What do you do? You do you like what do you do in that in that instance? Uh, well, we just uh, you, know, you use italics. Mm-hmm. You it's it's about the spacing and uh, and then some of it you just like some of the music and the song lyrics that were in Haitian, you knew that the French people also wouldn't necessarily understand. Right, right. So you kind of left them as is. Or hmm. or you surtitled them into French and English. Right. So that both the French and the English would understand. Hmm. Yeah, it's a... It's like it's like a giant Rubik's Cube. You know, you hmm. want... Like, once you get one side kind of figured out, you're like, ah, oh, shoot, the other side's a little... <laughs> okay, I gotta tweak that side and then come back to it. Uh, but it's just... It's really quite... I, I quite love it. It the, the the it sounds like in order to really get into it, you have to be 
There has to be a certain passion for words. Yeah, some wordplay and yeah, idioms. Yeah. Because, you know, <coughs> some idioms just don't translate. No. Uh, and, and you have to kind of... I'm doing a show... Uh, can I swear on this podcast? No, but yeah, uh, fuck yeah. Oh, fuck. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm translating a show right now that will be both at Teatros and TNO this year called Fucking Carl. Mm-hmm. And it is filled with swear words. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but French swear mm-hmm. with with religious words, and yes. the English just use fuck basically. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so trying to be as colorful as the French is is all often. I'm like, oh, I'm just so bored of just using fuck, fuck this, fuck that. Fuck. I need I need more words. Yeah, um, and which is funny because English has more words than many other languages. Right. But I guess when it comes to swearing, the French have got to speak. Well. There's, they certainly have come with with some more entertaining and, yeah. and uh, uh, nuanced ways mm-hmm. to swear, and the English just goes straight for, just go straight for yeah, it, straight to, straight to the point. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and it's there's a lot of joie in it, a lot of idioms, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, phrases. I'm like, oh, I don't. Oh, I'm trying to think of the example of it. One one of the characters who is uh, lower class. Uh, was referring to someone being constipated. But in French, uh, it, it was something to the effect of, you know, being tight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, I can't even remember how we translated it. It was, like, I had to go online. Like, I always have, like, a thesaurus, uh, you know, open. Uh, yeah. Kind of the, the Google Translate tab open. And, and then, but then you have to get, like, the urban... Uh, urban like uh, dictionary right, right, right. of sayings and, and like I'm like just going through them main like which which was which was the oh turd blocked yes that's <laughs> the one <laughs> like words that I like I never even occurred to me no, that I was the same yeah. like oh but yes that's perfect yeah yeah because you have to also put yourself into like the the you know the the mindset of the characters mm-hmm. and yeah. know, how did what you know what do they speak growing up? And only the, you know, French of Tremblay is very different than the French of Molière. And, right, right. Um, uh, and then, you know, I think, I, I remember when I saw, you know, when I worked on a Tremblay for the very first time, which is the first time I'd wor- uh, seen a, a Tremblay mm-hmm. play, I was like, oh my goodness, this is my family. You know, there's a bit of recognition right, there. Right, okay. Like, oh, okay, I know who these people are. Um, and, and, and so I kind of, I get, they would they take, but yeah, I think I also just read a lot growing up, right? In all, in all three languages, mm-hmm. actually, at least in French and in English, I did a lot of reading, so I, I just developed an aptitude for uh, vocabulary. Did you grow up in, in Quebec or no, Ontario? I grew up in, in Ontario, but my entire elementary schooling was in French, okay. And then high school was, um, it was like full immersion in elementary mm. and then partial in uh, high school, mm-hmm. and then I really didn't speak it much. From like you know senior high school through till I was maybe twenty two and when I started working with Théâtre Français and that's where like I had like a renaissance of French because all of a sudden I was you know had to work in French yeah and now yeah. I like all pretty much all of my work is done in French and uh, and my mom will say you know I think you speak better French than I do now <laughs> is that that's just because now you're using it more than well than yeah she is? and I, I think I've had access to a wider range of vocabulary my mom grew up in northern Quebec. Uh, uh, you know, working class family, mm-hmm. uh, you know, intelligent. Uh, uh, if, you know, she didn't finish high school or anything, this is you know, a long time ago. Um, 
but you know, I've had the benefit of you know working in French and and having access to like business French, I guess, to a certain mm-hmm. extent. And so my vocabulary has expanded. And every once in a while, I'll use an expression or a word, and she'll be like, oh, "I didn't teach you that," <laughs> <laughs> and it's a good thing. So, uh, so you know. Uh, words have always fascinated me, and you know, mm. I, I studied Latin in high school, and so you know, the, just the origins of you know where where do words come from, and how do they travel, and you know, I have friends who are Arabic, uh, and I've made a lot of Arabic friends in the last couple of years, and so I'm realizing how much French there is in Arabic as well, and so mm. yeah, it's uh, it's really fascinating. Um, I mean, it's not a, not theater related, but why is there so much French in Arabic? Because uh, the French uh, colonized parts of Syria, okay. and uh, I mean the borders have all shifted mm-hmm. so much because uh, of the two world wars and whatnot. But uh, uh, yeah, the, the French were colonizers, mm-hmm. the English were colonizers, yeah, the yeah, Germans yeah. colonized. All comes down to colonization. <laughs> <laughs> We've taken over um, and and then been reclaimed. So you know, it's 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 interesting when I speak to my Syrian friends now, and, and you know they're because I work in settlement a little bit too. So I'm you know, always trying to figure out what they need. And so they'll be like, yeah. I, I don't know what the word for this is. And I'm like, just say it in Arabic. They're like, Seshwa. I'm like, Oh, I Seshwa, a hairdryer. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a bicycle and bicyclette. I'm like, same thing. Yeah. So it's, it's always surprising which words kind of were kept. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Now we've been talking a lot about, about, uh, about surtitling uh-huh. and, uh, I do want to. I do want to because that. I mean that. That was our entire yeah, reason yeah. for sitting down. But I do want to talk about about uh, your 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 costume design. Mm-hmm. You, you sort of like just sort of said, yeah, I saw Lemay's and decided that's what I wanted yeah, to do. Like, but um, yeah, yes, yes, essentially. Was it the costumes or or was no? It... I didn't even really. It was a half baked idea. I saw it and went. That's that's the kind of storytelling. Like I want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. experience and you know every like I was 13 I was in grade like I just finished grade 8 right. so I was going into high school so going into high school I was like okay drama like I did, and I've never really done much theater yeah. I went to like a performing arts camp or something and um, it wasn't until grade 9 until I you know was part of like a drama production that I realized that there were you know there's a set Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Costumes. There's the lighting. There's and I, and that's when I kind of went. Yes, I want to be backstage. I want to help tell the story. I do not want to be on stage. Was there was there anything that that made you realize that you didn't want to be on stage, or did you know it instinctually? Oh, I just like the the, the like gut churning, yeah, yeah, vomitous feeling mm-hmm. of like I do not want to be looked at by that many people and have to put myself and I and I was in a couple of shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I was probably quite terrible. Like I, yeah, like I, 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 I never felt confident. In it. Right. Whereas with with the backstage, I'm like, I felt home. Like I just, right. I felt like that's what I was meant to do. Like mm. there was never, there was never a question. And from like grade nine on, I'm like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. My parents are like, you sure you don't want to be an accountant? You know, stupid <laughs> I'm like, you know, no, I'm gonna, I'm not taking science past grade ten because I don't need that for. Uh-huh. Uh, for a theater, and I think in my mind, I was going to go to Ryerson. Like I thought, I was going to go to Ryerson all the way till I went to my interview at Ryerson, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I went. I don't want to go to Ryerson. Um, what school did you end up going to? I went to Sheridan, okay. which I was not even on my radar. I, I applied to you know Ryerson, Brock, mm-hmm. Sheridan, and Waterloo. I think those were my four. Oh, and Humber, 
and went to all the interviews. And, mm-hmm. and Ryerson just left me with such a bad taste in my mouth. And now it's a great school now, and like I, some wonderful grads, and some great teachers. But at the time, it felt very. Uh, I got a set. They, they were like, you're, "It's a very difficult program. There's no way you will pass everything." So the, you know, you're going to fail, is what they were saying. That's a terrible way to get people to go to your school. Well, yeah, you think, right? Yeah, yeah. But, which was, like, heartbreaking for me, because I had you know, five years of high school being like, I'm going to go to Ryerson. And so I went to Sheridan and knew nothing about it. And it's a musical theater program with a tech program. Uh, and they were like, yeah, it's a really hard program. We're here to support you, though. We'll do everything we can to, you know. And... Uh, and once again, I felt like I was home. Mm. So, and it was, you know, and it was only a two-year program against a four-year program. So, obviously, I didn't learn as much as I would have if I'd gone to university. Right. But what it did was prepared me, like basically, it launched me into the real world, world two years earlier to right. get real-world experience. And what they, the teachers were so great. They kind of just uh, they taught you how to learn. Right. Because that's essentially what theater is. You're not doing the same thing over and over again. No, it's true. Right? Yeah. So every show is going to present you with a new challenge. So school needs to prepare you on how to examine those challenges and and approach them and give you the basic toolkit. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you, you were saying that, that you spent like most of your high school life thinking you were going to go to Ryerson. What yeah. was it that made you think that Ryerson was the place to be? Uh, well, this is pre-internet, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess I must... Um, trying to figure out how I even learned. And there must have been a brochure in, right, uh, right. in the guidance counselor's mm-hmm, office, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and I, I remember having to kind of prod the guidance counselors on, like, the, the, the existence of theater tech as a viable they're career. Really, they're, generally, they're not really good about theater in general. I, I think I think when people go to the guidance counselor and they say, I want to work in the arts, the guidance counselor is thinking, like, how do I convince them not to do this? I'm completely yeah. unprepared yeah. to answer these questions, and I need to get them to go to uh, accounting <laughs> school, yeah. or business school, Med, or law. something, something that I understand. Yeah, it's weird, eh? And and do you remember those like that? I, it must have been computerized, but it was like this punch out. Uh, like job determination. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Quiz, When right? I when I took it in school, it wasn't like computer. They they gave you a pin, and you actually had to like put a pin in the spot uh, that you agreed or like yeah, fill in yeah, or yeah. punch out the number yeah. of, of what you wanted to do. Yeah. I remember getting this like accordion yeah, printout yeah. with like, I, I don't know how it was made, but I think one of the options was a horse trainer was one of my career paths. It's funny. I, I got, it, it told me that I should be like a, a secretary. It should t- oh. said that I should be like doing filing or archiving or things like that. I was like, I have no interest in that. So I don't know why you're even suggesting that. Yeah. Because those aptitude tests, lot they there's one question that they never seem to ask is like, what do you like? It right. asks questions about what you're good yeah, at, yeah. and that's what it's trying to tell you is what you're good at. It's, but does it never asks you like, what would make you happy or yeah. what do you enjoy? It's it's amazing to me, and, and <clears throat> I remember for like the first bit of my career feeling like, um, ooh, I'm the one taking all the risks in my career and like, you know, like, uh, I'm living on the edge of, you know, and, and surely that is, you know, as artists, we mm-hmm. are, you know, not making a lot of money yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we all make, um, uh, sacrifices and have a plan B and, uh, like I have a day job. It's, it is in my field, but it's in television. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, it's not my first love, which is theater. Uh, uh, we all do that, but 
I remember when, I guess when the recession hit, uh, in 2008 or whatever, and, and people that I knew who had gone to school, uh, done something sensible, <laughs> gotten like an accounting job or whatever, had had the same job for a long period of time mm-hmm. and all of a sudden found themselves unemployed because, you know, their company yeah. failed or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they didn't have the skills to survive because they'd only had one job and they didn't know how to do anything else and they, and, and they were so, they become complacent because they were so used to yeah. doing the same thing over and over again. Whereas I uh, have no ego and, you know, I, did, I had a contract where I painted all the garbage cans in New Yorkdale Mall once, <laughs> you know, like in their deep, yeah. deep underground dungeons. So like I, and I did that because I needed the money and right. hey, I got to do faux finish. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was, I remember that being the moment where I kind of went, oh no, I, I've got some pretty great survival skills yeah uh and i get to do what i love Mm -hmm. well that really that really helps out a lot is being able to do what you love and like to at least incorporate it into into your job i think a lot of people uh when they fall into uh some kind of job that's outside of theater when it's not like a theater focused job because pardon me when we do a lot of us you know we go into waiting tables and that's the yeah. the, the traditional like theater person right. job because evenings are free but then we go and we get a day job and it's like a job that we sort of fell into um and it just becomes something that that, that we that we we did because i you know suddenly i, I start feeling like i want to have a roof over my head mm-hmm. and i want to have some things getting and, older yes when you're in your twenties, you're like, "Fuck! I'll sleep on a couch. I'll yeah. sleep on the floor. I'll sleep in the in an alley as long as I'm doing the art." Oh, and then when you play thirty, you're like, "I want a bed, and I want uh, heat, and yeah. I want food, and yeah, and I want good food." Yeah, yeah. You're like, "I'm not. I don't want Mr. Noodles anymore." Exactly. I want you know. I want my Greek yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny and because actually, I don't want Greek yogurt. No, but it's it's funny because. You know, there's there's the job that you fall into, and then if you, and often we end up not particularly enjoying that job. Well, yeah, it's all it's because you know I, as far as day jobs go, I can't even call it a day job anymore. It's actually a career. Mm -hmm. Like I I work in it, you know, for a television company, a media group, I guess now because it includes the internet. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I create Mm -hmm. content. I am designing costumes right. for children's television and uh it's not at all what i thought i would be doing right and you know it's children's television so it's not like highly intellectual <laughs> uh but it's fun yeah yeah and now you know this year we launched our green screen studio so a lot most of the majority of the content that i'm creating is to be used in the studio with no sets in it and and the has its whole host of new challenges mm-hmm. uh, that you know we were the first studio in North America, I think, maybe the world to use this particular oh, oh. computer system. Hmm. And I don't. It's it's you know what it goes on in the console room to me is like might as well be Gandalf and <laughs> like a whole bunch of wizards yeah. and potters in there waving wands. They're they're incredible what they do. Uh, and so to kind of try to figure out like how what I create in 3D manifests once it goes through like a camera and a mm-hmm. gaming engine and mm-hmm. a computer and then oh. ends up on your TV screen or your computer screen, which right. is two different things. And like, it's amazing how like a color, yeah. like I've got an object that's like, you know, purple. Right. And then I put it, 
you know, in the studio in front of a camera and on the monitor, it looks like more of a royal blue. Right. But then once it's gone through uh, the processing, because we put everything into a 3D, it's kind of like a 3D <coughs> VR gaming engine. Right. So we, we literally had, like the camera, one of the, the virtual cameramen, because he's real, but the camera's virtual, <laughs> uses a literal joystick yeah. to navigate the the universe that these actors are acting in in a green room somewhere. Anyways, so once the, the purple slash blue fabric goes through that, sometimes it looks more fuchsia, and then you don't even like, and then it's going to look completely different on the screen. So it's really makes the work. How do you design for that? How do you design <laughs> when the color that you're that you're designing does not end up being the color that people see? Well, it's interesting because it used to be that you know you got your script, you you know set props design like there was an existing set or there was say there was a modification so the the set person would go off and do that and get the props and and we'd all show up back at the 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 place with with all of our things but now i have to wait for the virtual sets to be completed before i can go and source fabrics that then get or or if i'm lucky an actual like you know pair of pants Mm -hmm. and then you have to do a screen test with the fabric um uh in every set that it that costume will appear in. Oh. So the scripts will have to all be written. Right. So that you know where this costume is going to travel. And then it's what else is interesting is that that fabric or that item, uh, it might test well from the waist up, but not from the waist down. So uh, because uh, we have a green screen floor as well. And the green is, and the light is, you know, it's like, chroma green right yeah it's like yeah. the most fluorescent green you can imagine and it's very very brightly lit because you have to get rid of every single shadow right uh, uh so if the fabric has a slight crease in it or fold and it's close to the green screen floor that the green will bounce onto that fabric oh and right. then that bit of the costume disappears <laughs> you know one of the things that i've always thought about in terms of like that green screen experience yeah. And it's one of those things that nobody is ever teaching in 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 like theater school uh, or anything is how to act with a green screen, and how not to squint because the lights are so bright. Yeah. How do you even do that? Well, luckily, I don't spend a lot of time in the studio. Mm-hmm. Once we have uh, we have someone else who works on set, but yeah, it is very difficult for the actors, and they often, you know, at the end of the day, their their eyes are a little. I'll bet. I'll bet. And and same for the cameraman, the crew, everyone who works in that space is is like mm. it's a long, monotonous day, yeah. and it's. You know, there's a program that, you know, will project uh, the set and they can see the set on a mon- a giant monitor. Right. So they're acting and they can see themselves on the monitor. Um, but everything is like left to right, right to left. So what's left okay. is right. So you have to kind of... You have to think real hard. Yeah. Like that. Uh, and then uh, say there's a wall on the set that you could, you know... You have to know where you can walk behind or where you need... Like it, where on the floor you will walk and then all of a sudden you'll be like knee deep in the set like oh okay so there's like definitely like paths and spike marks right. that need to be made and it's uh it i think as an actor like it's difficult because also you have no as an actor you feed off of your environment yeah yeah and so if your environment is a big green box i don't know how you get much nutrition out again of that. that that's one of those things that that nobody teaches you how to no. do is like is how to do and nobody's teaching you how to do motion capture so these are all the things that that are are you know becoming important, mm-hmm. but we're not exactly. And and you know, and I think in large part, uh, you know, green screen shooting has been relegated to special effects 
and weathermen or women. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, they're, you know, it's the stunt people doing stuff. But now, now we're doing most, most TV shows have a green screen element at, at some point. Mm -hmm. So it's becoming more and more, it's yeah, not, like in the back of cars, yeah. the, you know, or out a window. It, and, yeah, so it's not it's not a stunt and it's not a special yeah. effect anymore. It's it's the everyday. It's the everyday, and yeah, we're shooting entire episodes, mm. like where everything is, you know, and like you know, the props have to be tested, like everything has to be tested. Uh, it's a uh, we're there's a learning curve. Like we've just shot, we're in, almost done shooting a series that had forty episodes. And we're, we were supposed to start shooting our second series in June, but that's been pushed because of all these logistical issues. It's been pushed to January mm. and, uh, and we've got, you know, puppets and, uh, and, and giant mascot beasts. And, yeah. uh, and then we, you know, we still get scripts that call for like props, like, Oh, there's a whole thing. There's a whole song about lettuce. And I'm like, Hey, well, what color is lettuce? That's a problem. How do you do lettuce when you're working on a green screen? Right. Well, that's, I mean, and so you have to kind of also educate the writers. Yes. On, right, right, right. On, you know, what the limitations are yeah. or even what the, you know, what the limitations of like a puppet can't lift heavy things. It's a, it's a puppet. <laughs> so, you know, you've got, you've got script writers who are, you know, letting their imagination run wild and creating these, but they've never written for green screens. So... Once again, there's a little bit of back and forth yeah, there yeah. in terms of like, okay, well, how can we adapt this to, you know, keep the intent, but make it not look terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in terms of, you know, back to the theater. Yeah. Um, when did you join the Théâtre Français? Uh, it was 1997 and I graduated from college in 96. So okay. I think it was like almost a full year and they were doing a production of, um, Le Maladie Imaginaire, the Imaginary Invalid. Mm -hmm. And I was hired to do props. Mm. Uh, Teresa Shabilsky was designing, and she won a Dora Award for her design. It was brilliant. It was set in a circus. And uh, it was the last show that Diana LeBlanc did, or well, she didn't direct it, but she was the artistic director. Right, right. And, uh, and her tenure was over then, and Gimigo stepped in afterwards, and Gimigo has been there until last spring. So uh, it's been 20 years. Pretty wow. Much. Or it was 19. 20 years next year. Yeah. yeah. Um, so was that, was that your first design it my, job? It wasn't even, no, I, was, I wasn't even designing, oh, you, just you doing were props. Doing props yeah. uh, it was my first professional gig, though, mm. like, of, like, you know, it wasn't an indie theater working for experience. Right, right. Uh, not paid. Um, so that was, and, and God, they're amazing, amazing people there. I, 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 I think my first design gig with them was, came, like, two years later. Mm. Maybe more than that. Uh, I did one small show, and then and then Guy asked me to do the entire season the following year. Which is like when I think about it now, I think was he insane? Like I was like I designed like three shows, and like their whole well, I mean their three in house productions, not their whole season because they they bring in touring shows, but like three shows I got to design, and and ever since then I've designed at least one, if not two shows a year, and that's. I mean, it blows my mind that yeah. I had that opportunity. So you started with, you started doing props and then yeah. uh, you moved, how, like, did you move the following year to costume or did you? No, not with them. Um, did props. They had a head of wardrobe named Joanne Massingham uh, for many years. And I didn't start designing for them until 
after she left. And I think the reason I was hired was because I had practical experience. Like I was not only able to design, but I was able to make my own right. costumes or okay. create, uh, which a lot of, of the designers that they had been working with were, I guess, higher end designers who, who, um, were beyond wanting to do their right. own work, which I totally understand. Yeah. So someone who's been designed for 20 years, you, know, so you get to a point where you're like, I'm going to hire someone else to do this bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to do the fun bit. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think part of the appeal, and I think that's how I that's how I got into designs. When I left Sheridan, I ha- was not a designer. It's not a design program. I was a, I thought I was going to be a seamstress, right? And so I came to Toronto ready to be a seamstress, and I couldn't get any work. I got some work as an assistant stage manager, um, and then I did a yeah no I, again I worked at Theatrics Costume House for mm-hmm. like six months and then I designed a show like a little indie show called Bloody Poetry uh, and then my props teacher gave my name to the production manager at the Stratford Festival who was hiring an apprentice scenic artist and I was like sure I'll do that yeah and I went and I painted for uh, like three months in Stratford and had like this life-changing experience. Mm. I thought, this is amazing. I love this. I'm going to be a scenic artist. And then I came back to Toronto and couldn't get any scenic artwork uh, and started assisting designers. And I, I think, you know, I was a good assistant because mm-hmm. I could paint, I could do props, I could do costumes. And I was, you know, cheerful and pretty and never <laughs> said no, uh, which is, you know, what you want in a volunteer. You want yeah, to show up and like do the work. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and then eventually designers started to kind of be like, Oh, I don't want to do this design gig, you know, hire Nina, you know, she's, mm. she'll, she'll work for next to free. Uh, and, <laughs> and then I worked my way up from there. And I think, so I had a couple of shows under my belt when, when TFT, you know, did the offering, mm. but, uh, yeah. So when they asked you to design their like three shows yeah. for them, um, was that your first major yeah. project? Yeah. So, yeah. Like TFT is still like my, maybe not biggest in volume, but like in, in terms of prestige. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, and, yeah, the, yeah. So they kind of took a chance on you there. They totally, yeah. they, you totally, I mean, and that, I mean, that I think is Guy's legacy. Uh, at TFT is, is he, he took chances on so many young artists mm. who've, and it, I think it's paid off. We've, you know, uh, we're all still working in the business yeah. and, and, and created kind of a bit of a family. So that's pretty fantastic. That's great. But, uh, but yeah, like I, I don't know if I would have had the longevity of career that I've had or the, you know, comfort or success if it hadn't been for them. Right. Yeah. Do you, right now, and so you're doing, are you still designing costume yep. for them? Mm-hmm. And you're doing uh, uh, the, the cert titles as well. Yeah. Is do you still want to keep doing both, or would you? Do you want to sort of go more towards oh. the cert titling? Do you? You know what? It's a tough question. Um, as I get older, and as you know, the arthritis sets in, and mm-hmm. you know, working in theater is no joke physically. It's it's yeah. tough on the body because there's a lot of schlepping, um, especially if you live in Toronto and don't have a car. Yeah. So. Uh, what I love about surtitling is that I can do it anywhere. Right. As long as I've got like my computer and maybe a Wi-Fi connection every once in a while. Right. I can just sit down and do it. Um, 
it's a way less toll on the body. Uh, and so I, I, I am kind of looking at, at growing that side of my business to, mm. to be able to do that into my later years. Because as you know, as an artist, retirement is kind of a joke, right? Yeah, it's, like not, even, it's not like, it's not like it's really an option. Sure yeah. And I, I think that's true of pretty much any yeah. career right now is like, you know, retirement may not be an option. And so I need to, you know, have some, I don't know that, I, I mean, Astrid Jansen, uh, Sean Kerwin, uh, all, all these fantastic lady designers who are, you know, uh, you know, a couple, a decade. I'm not sure how old they are. Anyways, they're older than me, and I see them approaching those years, and, and they're still working mm. at it. And and, uh, and and I don't know if I'll be able to do that. It's interesting because um, there's the idea that I mean I've been thinking about it for you know, as I get older, I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it's the idea that retirement, as we understand it, and that our parents understood it, oh. is the was supposed to be the the reward for sticking with a shitty job for yes for like your life. Yeah. You know, so you went to work in the factory, and yeah. then when you finished working at the factory, at the miserable job that you hated, you yeah. turned sixty, and now here's time for you to relax yeah, in your later years. Yeah, and I think that. If you're a person who who loves what you do, and it's sort of like, and that sustains you, it's less of uh, it's less the reward for yes. doing that. Because I know you know lots of people who, who it's like a living inheritance, exactly. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like using it all yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, it's not like it's not like you know we're doing it. We shit. We hate the job. Yeah, and we're looking forward to when we turn 60 or 65 and yeah. somebody's going to give us a gold watch and yeah. we'll be able to relax or whatever. But that for artists, I think the fact that we're working sustains more than mm-hmm. anything else. Well, it's like living to work or working to live. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to keep doing what I'm doing as long as my body will allow me mm-hmm. and my brain will allow me to do it. Right. Uh, I, I do feel I'm becoming a lot pickier with my theater projects because they are so taxing and, and right. also because you know, I have a forty-hour uh, a week job already, right, 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 right. And so, any theater I take on on top of that is taking me away from my downtime, right? Which yes. you know, we all need. We all do need, yeah. Right. So I've become like a couple, like a year or two. Was it last year? I, I you know, I set out uh, guidelines for what kind of shows I would accept, mm. and I failed at following them. Uh, <laughs> what, what did you, was it because people came to you and were really passionate about the shows or they were friends? What, what was they it were, that they made were you? Friends. Oh, okay. And because yeah. I had established relationships with them. Uh, you know, in, in one case it was okay. So my guidelines were that I, I didn't want to work on a show unless there were equal amount of men and women more right. mm-hmm. in, involved in it. And that there was at least one person of color. Uh, and gosh, those I don't get off well, those shows very much, <laughs> apparently. So the first yeah. show I, that I took was with um, was a show written by Mark Brownell and directed by Sue Miner. So directed by a woman, yay, mm-hmm. uh, with one more man than a woman in it. So you know, I was like, oh, okay, yes, I you know I it was you know with the the pick of the fringe, not the pick of the fringe. What's the one in January? With the oh, the the new something. new no yeah. You know the one. I know the one, and of course, as soon as we finish, like, I'm oh, going to remember thing. what it is. It's I, I, I thought Frostbites, but it's that's 
somewhere else. That's somewhere else. Yeah. Anyways, you can put a little footnote to this. Um, Everybody knows they're yelling at me right now. Yeah. As they listen to it. They're yes. Yelling yeah. Okay. At both you're of right. Us. You're yes. right. Yes. All of you are yeah. right. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, and I thought, oh, you know, it's over Christmas. It's Victorian. Mm. It's, it'll be in my friend. It'll be fine. It'll be great. Uh, and you know, I, I nothing but good people involved in the show, and so it it, it went off well. But it left me a little bit like. And then the other show I did was um, uh, uh, with Théâtre Français. It was just last spring, and I can't remember the name of the show. Um, Don Juan. Don Juan. See, I was trying to think of it in English instead of French. Ah, okay. That'll do it. Yeah. Uh, And uh, it was the first it, it's the first season with our new artistic director Joelle Bedos mm-hmm. and it was the show I was offered and I was like right. well it's kind of like an audition isn't yeah, it yeah, like, yeah, if yeah, I yeah. don't do this then I might never work there again mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did it and uh, I you know I lo- and I love Molière I love him way more than Shakespeare I, he's one of my favorites uh, but god that show is just about misogyny and Oh. But there's two female characters and they're victims, and like right. it's like right. so it's all the things that you never that you didn't really want. I did, yeah. yeah, I wanted nothing to yeah. do with it, and I was like, yeah, you know, one actor who is South American, completely. Mm-hmm. So you know, there was very little color, right? Very, and uh, you know, these are things that I take to heart, and so right. uh, I I'm recommitting myself to that, and I'm just realizing that like I don't enjoy them as much anymore. It's not mm. even about being like, you know, politically correct and wanting to take a stand and like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice this project. It's just like, at the end of the day, once the show is over, I'm like, oh, I wish I'd done the show that was more satisfying and that yeah. done a show with, you know, more interesting storylines that maybe reflect the world I live in. Yeah. Yeah. I think, that, I think there's, there is sort of like, I think I've, I've heard, you're not the first person I've, I've heard who who said that they don't want to work on shows or don't want to see shows yeah. that don't have yeah, yeah. like more women, people of color. Yeah. Like, these are like criteria. Like yeah. you don't have that not coming to see your show. Yeah. And, and I, I hear that more and more. And I glance at that. Like, I, you know, whenever a season gets announced by a theater company, I'm like, okay, so what are the shows? Who are the actors? Who's directing? Who's designing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, like, you know, you know, I mean the one, one, beacon of hope is factory right now and and you know what nina yeah the Aquino is doing there and and uh like why is it so hard <laughs> like i mean the thing, the thing that sort of gets me is you look at the cast of the you know when i was growing up the place i always thought that i'm going to graduate from theater school and i will go to stratford and maybe some shaw and I, you know the, yeah, yeah, those yeah, are yeah. the things that that a kid an ontario actor yeah. as a kid will fire. think that's what they're yeah. going to do and now, I still think that those are some very white theaters. Yeah. And that they need, they could do better. Well, and, you know, Stratford did uh, um, The Breathing Hole this year, which is, you know, amazing. Mm-hmm. The show with so so much, uh, you know, Inuit representation and, uh, you know, not only on stage, but, you know, the director. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, you know, it takes a while and it, it takes coming. It, I, I feel like it's, it but takes, it's, I think it takes a long time it takes a long time and it takes the audience to you know reward 
those yeah. shows by going to them because yeah. it's like if the if, if you know it, at the end of the day theater is also a business and you know if if a show loses money yeah then are the same risks gonna you know be taken and so yeah it's a it's a tough one so i think when it comes to surtitling i'm still like i'm still fresh enough to it that i'll translate anything <laughs> right of course yeah well you've got um, you're building up your your mm-hmm. portfolio of surtitling yeah, yeah exactly uh and the word is uh you know I mean, you know, like I'm, I'm translating a show that uh, right now that's a it's a one woman show written by a man, and it's mm-hmm. a man writing, you know, uh, kind of a young adult or you know, something. I think the character is like maybe in their early twenties, and writing her experience, and and there's parts of it that I kind of go, I roll. Right, of course, <laughs> like, of course, of course, right? I don't yeah. agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, but the poetry is still interesting, mm-hmm. and that the you know trying to translate, and, and you know maybe there's an extra nuance in there where you're like trying to translate some man's thoughts about mm. woman, right, and right? Trying to kind of give that some added authenticity. So mm. I don't know. There's uh, uh so yeah, with surtitling, I'm I'm still, you know, I'll try anything. Uh, you know, I'd probably translate a cereal box if I was <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, make it easy to steal. Uh, uh, but when it comes to theater, because, you know, I'm in my 20th year of it now, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm less inclined. And here's the thing. Here's, here's the reason is because, because I've got the extreme privilege of having a paying 40 hour a week job Yes, that, you know, I don't have to take a gig simply because it's offered to me and because I'm worried about what's going to come in the spring or right. what if I don't have anything. Like, I remember those days, and that's the reality for, you know, especially in a city like Toronto, which yeah, is so absolutely, yeah, expensive, yeah. that you just have, you know, you have to hem all the curtains that you can. You got to, you know, be willing to, you know, do everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, even the, you know, shitty paying jobs uh, without, you know, voicing your concern or else they won't hire you again. Like, it's... Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, of all the designs, I think, you know, costume design is still the one that gets paid the least. Right. Um, so I, I do really recognize my privilege in that. Mm, yeah, yeah. I can be like, I'm not going to do this one because I don't like the script. Right. You know. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the, that is the advantage to, yeah. to having the, 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 the quote unquote day, day job. job. But yeah. Meanwhile, I'm working on a day job, which is, you know, doing kids' shows, which are simple. But they also serve, I mean, kids' shows, I mean, in theory, they serve a great uh, a purpose. They do. You I mean, know? they're, you know, and, and, you know, we have an educational mandate and, you know, with new technology, mm-hmm. at the forefront of something. Um, but, 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 yeah, you know, I think... There's a bit of poetry missing in, mm. <laughs> in it, perhaps. Well, yeah, yeah I guess. I guess there <laughs> but is, I'm so. lucky to have it. And yeah. I like my call. And, you know, unfortunately, I also work with really great people there. You know, I think there's... That always helps. That. You can do it anything if you like the people Absolutely. you work with. Absolutely, you can. Yeah. yeah. Well, Nina, thanks, thanks so much for talking with me today. This has been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for having me.